This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This is Greg Olson, inviting you to check out my new Blue Wire podcast, TE1, where I interview tight ends throughout the history of the NFL who have helped revolutionize the position. TE1 is presented by the Chevy Silverado, The Silverado is all about grit. It's strong and dependable, exactly like playing tight end. Just like the incredible players we sit down with on the podcast, the Chevy Silverado is in a league of its own. Strong, advanced, and dependable. Download TE1 today, wherever you listen to podcasts. Blue Wire. Kawhi Leonard is going to join the Clippers. Kawhi turns the corner for the win. Yo, yo, yo. Welcome to Clip and Roll. I am your host, Justin Russo. I'm your other host, Farbo Desnashari. This podcast is being brought to you by Indeed, Bet Online, and Blue Wire Farbod. How you doing? Apparently not as good as you. Uh, I'm just... So, ever since the Clippers got, like, their season ended, I got, like, like this weight jumped off my shoulders... So I've been a lot uh, in a better frame of mind now than I was like three weeks ago. I'm the I feel exact fr- opposite. See, I feel free. I feel good. No, I'm the exact opposite. I just like, I don't want to talk to anybody. Everybody wants to hit me up and I'd be like, dude, I don't want to talk. First of all, I don't like talking about basketball with that many people in general. Second of all, I really don't want to talk about basketball with y'all. And then like, Third of all, I still have to write like three articles a day for SI. And there there is nothing out other than just like everybody talking trash about the Clippers and like rightfully so. So it's like I literally am just writing articles every single day about how bad they are. And I'm like, this is it's just like a never ending cycle of never escaping it. See, I think it's easier to be negative than positive. So that might writing negative articles might actually be easier for me personally. I I never wrote negative articles ever in like five years, but that's the only news that's out is like Reggie Miller being like, oh, they suck. Chris Webber saying that they're Hollywood. Reggie Miller saying that the Clipper curse is real. Like that's the only news that's out right now. Uh, Yeah, I mean, there's not a whole lot like with the Clippers because it's all secondhand stuff for the most part. And that's what we're actually going to lead off with. Sean Sharani of The Athletic in a piece two days ago, we're recording this on the 23rd, so the 21st, excuse me. Uh, in his section about the Clippers, he has a line in here that says, rival teams expect the Clippers to work the trade market for a playmaker in the backcourt. I do not know who that playmaker could be. It could be a host of people. I don't know. Milos Teodosic. Yeah. Oh, he, do you see the video that went around the other day with him? Yeah. 
Yeah, he still got it. If only his feet weren't crappy and that uh, he was, I guess, you know, not bad defensively. But hey, um, one of the names that's been thrown around is Derrick Rose because the Clippers have reportedly last offseason might have had interest in him. He I, is do under- I do not want him either. There's a myriad of reasons why. I will say he's due to make $7.7 million in the upcoming season. So I understand why they'd potentially be looking at him. Would that be a Lou Williams for Derrick Rose swap? I don't know. I'm just I'm just giving guys that they might be interested in looking at. Other guys, I mean, it could be like Ricky Rubio is another guy who might have interest for the Clippers, especially because I believe he only has one year left on his deal as well. You know, maybe they go for Drew Holiday. Maybe they're that's a Drew Holiday. The idea. I think that's the ideal. You think Drew Holiday is the ideal guy that they would go after? No, I'm saying in a dream scenario, you get Drew Holiday. Oh, I mean, yeah. Um, maybe they go after Spencer Dinwiddie. I don't know. Like, I don't know. Like, it's it's such a hazy phrase to say they're going to go after an, a, a ball handler, like a true ball handler, that you could literally attach any player to that and it would make sense. I mean, it's almost kind of like, uh, not to disparage the report because I trust the report, but it's almost like cold reading where you're like, I sense that your husband was a male. Am I am I right? He is a male. Okay, so his name starts with A-E-I-O-U, yes? Okay, right again. Like It kind of reminds me of that. Yeah, like the Clippers are going to look for upgrades. Okay, that's the story. That's, like, that's not shocking. Yeah, and everybody knows they need a playmaker. It's been a thing. I mean, would you want a playmaker or would you want to commit more to point Kawhi? I think you can do both. I don't think the lack of a, the quote lack of a playmaker was what hurt them in the postseason. I don't. I think they had a bunch of other problems that, you know, jumped up and bit them in the butt. I don't think the lack of playmaker really killed them. I also would like, and we are going to talk, we, we're going to profile Kawhi Leonard's season later. So I don't want to like spill the beans too much, but I'm fine leaning into more Kawhi as the playmaker as, as the point Kawhi guy. You know, so that's just me, though. Yeah, I think the bigger the bigger thing that they need is just a, a backup big. Yeah, backup big, maybe a wing, like a backup, like a bench wing. Like I don't know. I mean, man, I don't want to get too far into the offseason stuff because that'll be our next episodes when we start talking about potential offseason stuff. But yeah, um, real quick. Yovan Buha of The Athletic, who is our friend. We know him personally. Uh, I text with him almost. I don't know him, and I hate his guts. I text with him about almost every day um, about stuff just to see how he's doing. You know, basically, excuse my language, shoot the shit and see what's going on. Um, The other day, two days ago on Monday, he had an article come out, which was a mailbag. I'm going to repeat this. It is a male bag, meaning he was giving his opinions. And in one of the bonus answer sections, he writes, the Clippers front office has proved it will trade just about anyone. Blake Griffin, Tobias Harris, Shea Gildas Alexander, etc. I would put George in that group. I think Leonard is the only untouchable on the roster. George is close to untouchable, but I think the Clippers would move him for the right package. And obviously, if that was Leonard's preferred outcome. We have no evidence that's the case, though. 
So I suspect George will be a Clipper next season, and the Clippers will give their star tandem a second season together. That's the end of that part. What drove me crazy is Monday and especially Tuesday and a little bit Wednesday. The select snippet of that part that was basically thrown out there by aggregators and even news media was the sentence where he says, I think Leonard is the only untouchable on the roster. On the surface, that is what he wrote. He wrote that. However, the next sentence literally says, we have no evidence that's the case, though. And it is a mailbag. It is his opinion. And aggregation media went absolutely ballistic and ran with it. In fact, they ran with it so much, not only did it get clicks on Twitter and headlines on Twitter and people were going in on it, First Things First on Fox Sports 1 on Wednesday morning uh, had hit, had that exact quote up and they were discussing it. This, and I understand, I want people to understand something. I've done aggregation journalism. I've done it. I did it for several years. I understand how tough it is to toe the line between trying to get clicks because your site needs them, like they actually do, like your site needs clicks, getting the news right, and at least driving conversation. I understand that. You also have to do better. You cannot run with this, that one sentence about, I think Leonard is the only untouchable on the roster, and literally not include anything else that he wrote in an opinion-based mailbag. It is absolutely unfathomable to me that this is a thing that happened, and yet... I'm also not shocked by it because that's the the actual line and the path that we have gone on in this industry. I'm going to write an article that says Yovan says Kawhi Leonard is the only Clipper that's going to stay on the team next year. I mean, they'll probably do numbers. They'll probably just do numbers. I just I had to say it because knowing him personally, I know how much it, it, it was going to annoy him. Whenever that happened or when it did happen, I should say. And it pissed me off, too, because I know him personally and I know what he writes. And I and I can read in a mailbag knowing from anybody who writes a mailbag, it is an opinion. It's not sourced reporting. So to run with an opinion as sourced reporting is ridiculous to me. Yeah, I mean. I mean, all I can say is like. Congrats, this thing got on TV, though. Maybe he'll get money out of this. I don't know. I hope so. That'd be nice. One of us has to get paid. Maybe they'll put him on TV and be like, Jovan, we need to know. Are the Clippers going to trade everyone for Michael Jordan? Please let us know. All right, let's do this real quick. Let's do this. Would you trade Paul George this offseason? For what? Just would you trade Paul George this offseason? No, I wouldn't trade Paul George this offseason, but if they mess up again, that's where I'd be like, I don't know. Cause he, uh, so I know you're on the boat of like, he's Denver. He was the best player against Denver. But like, in my opinion, when LeBron is not doing that well, right. And he's, you know, got a minus nine in the game. 80 is playing above his averages. Like I, 
Paul George doing well is him playing to his averages. He was playing so poorly that him playing to his averages was good. Like when Kawhi is struggling and they're focusing so hard on making life miserable for Kawhi, that's a guy that needs to play above his average. That's why you're there. That's why you, that's why they got rid of Shea Gilgis. That's why they got rid of Danilo because they wanted guys who could play above their averages. And that's what he was supposed to do. So granted, he did great with like his 20 points a game. Was it like 50, 40, 90 shooting? I think. Was it? I don't know. He was close um, to something like that. Close to something like that. He needed to get like 28 a game or 30 a game in 50, 40, 90 shooting. Like it, it is what it is. Because when you're when your key guy and granted – you could put a lot of the blame on the guys who were supposed to be the highest scoring bench duo in NBA history. They need way more blame than anyone else because literally the starting lineup would get leads and the bench would blow leads from games five to seven. But at the same time, if you're, if you're a superstar, if you're third in MVP voting and you're literal saying out loud, your goal is to relieve Kawhi Leonard of stress and to relieve him and be a leader and help him and help him pull him through, that's what you got to do. You have to play above your average, especially for the playoffs. Like that's that's when it's your time. When the when the other dude is cold or when the other dude is getting an entire defense focused around him, this is your time to shine. It's not your time to just miss a bunch of threes or miss a bunch of jumpers in game six over and over. Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier, like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit and Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through September 30th. The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure that you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at BetOnline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Alright, so this is the first of our player profiles. And obviously it's going to be about Kawhi Leonard. He was the highest profile free agent that the Los Angeles Clippers have ever signed. 
Um, I honestly, like, I remember where I was when he signed. And I know that sounds weird, but like, you remember stuff like that. Plus it was only like a year ago. So of course I'm going to remember where I was when it happened. But, um, what was your biggest takeaway from his season, positive or negative? What was your biggest takeaway from his first season? So positive is the dude is like, he's the most reliant player I think they've ever had. Negative is, I think this was a year where he will, I think it's, it was just a next level year from uh, granted. He, he did great this year. But the negative has just seemed like the responsibility and the way teams were coming at him this year were far different than anything he's used to. And it kind of made him force a couple shots in a way where it's like, I get it, you're you're phenomenal at the mid-range, but you you scored one basket in the second half of game seven. You know, like something isn't right here. You got zero free throws in game seven. And you can harp you know, as much as you want on, but he did great all the other games. But when both him and PG are both doing bad in a game seven, that just can't happen. One can do bad and the other can do well to pull the other one through the hole. But uh, it just seems like he might have to change a little bit of his game when he gets in those more pressure situations that he hasn't seen before. I feel like, cause no one, cause the thing about the Toronto series or the Toronto run is no one knew he was capable of being that much of a monster on the offensive end. Right. Everybody knew like, Oh, this guy could get 20, but nobody knew this guy could get like 30 a game and shoot at a historic clip. And now the scout was in on him by this year's playoffs. And you could see he was doing well, but he wasn't the monster he was on Toronto where it was just like unstoppable. I think he has to tweak a bit of his game more to be ready for that bounce back. So the positive for me with his season is his development as a playmaker. Um, If you really just look at it, just as a playmaker, according to synergy on all pick and roll ball handler passes that he had, the Clippers averaged 1.134 points per possession. That might not sound like a ton to people, that's a lot. Like, that's really good. And if you end up looking through it, like, um, he ended up ranking right alongside James Harden in his regular season numbers at one point. So Kawhi put up 1.15 in the regular season. James Harden, I'm sorry, 1.115 in the regular season. James Harden put up 1.116. Now, obviously, that's reliant on guys making shots. I understand that. But it's still pretty crazy. Like, even when you... When you combine regular and postseason, there were 103 players that made that had at least 100 possessions passing out of the pick and roll. Kawhi Leonard was 22nd in points per possession. And we're talking about he's above Goran Dragic. He's above Chris Paul. You know, he's above Kemba Walker, James Harden, LeBron James, even like like that. This is. Like this is a guy who was getting better as a passer and as a decision maker. And I think that's something that should be looked at in greater light, despite how poorly the season ended. Now I do have a fun piece of trivia for you. Do you know who led the NBA among those um, 103 players? 
to log at least 100 pick and roll ball handler passing possessions. Do you know who led the NBA in points per possession? Chuck Hayes. Stop. Give me a real answer. Um, I you know honestly I part of it. I, so this isn't this is just shot of the dark. Part of me wants to say like Lou and Trez. So Lou Williams was ninth, averaging one point two one five. Montresaro didn't get a hundred possessions. He's not he's not a ball handler passer out of the pick and roll. Do you know who number one was though? Give it to me, Paul George. Did it, but it felt like they didn't even run that many pick and rolls in the playoffs. They kind of didn't. And that is a, a larger problem for me personally, is that the Los Angeles Clippers in the postseason became more stagnated into isolation basketball. And I hated it because you, you went away from what was working. You went away from being one of the very best ball handler, pick and roll ball handler teams in the NBA. And they completely went away from it. And it was just mind numbing to me. Um, as for the downside for Kawhi Leonard, shot selection. I thought Kawhi, I think Kawhi Leonard is a elite of the elite of the elite offensive player when it comes to making shots. I also disagree with quite a few of the shots he takes. Not because I just hate the mid-range. He takes a lot of high difficulty shots, like mid-range, pull-up threes, and I get it. That's what you have to deal with with a superstar, but it's still I want to see him hone hone that and rein that in. Because even in the postseason, even in game seven, he started game seven like one of four, and then he made like four of his next five, and I never felt good about his shots even when he was making them. Because I'm like, these are just such tough shots, man. Like, I understand that's the playoffs. You have to make tough shots, but man, like he's just taking some really hard shots. And I understand that comes with the territory of a star player, as I said, but I would like to see him get a, a couple easier baskets, even if it's as a spot-up shooter, even if it's off of cuts. I, I just think there's another level he can get to, and I would like to see him work on that this offseason. Well, that was largely, and I tweeted about it, I felt like the biggest difference between the Lakers and the Clippers all season was the Clippers had better talent. Uh, they were deeper. And they could go on these insane spurts where you're just like like game three against Denver. It was like, what the hell just happened? They just went on an eight oh run in like twenty seconds and now we're winning? Like what like what just happened? You know? They're capable of that. But in the same time, they they don't have like an easy mode button and they don't have like a safe mode button, if that's the word I'm looking for, where it's like if the Lakers are up sixteen, they're still gonna take it inside and they're still gonna try to get a layup through ball movement. If the Clippers are up 16, they're going to, like, I remember specifically game five against, or game six against the Nuggets, Paul George shot three wide open mid-range jumpers in a row and missed all three And it's while they were up 16. And it was like, okay, those are cool shots or whatever. They're wide open, but they're still jumpers and you're missing them. So turn on the easy mode, get inside, don't go for the jumper. And it just felt like all season, the Clippers... And, and largely because Kawhi doesn't do it himself, too. Kawhi shoots a lot of jumpers. He's not always going to take it inside. Whereas when you see LeBron James or AD, they're just going to say, F you, I'm going to I'm gonna bulldoze in and I'm going to get two points right now. Or you're going to foul me. It's kind of, Trez does that a little bit. Trez really does do that. But Trez doesn't shoot free throws well. So then it's like, man, I'd rather have this guy not touch the ball if he's just going to go one for two all the time. Uh, yeah. I, I think they need to drive more as a team because they're at yeah. their best when they drive. 
and it's yeah, and uh, Kawhi. I, it see it just seems like he doesn't have that part of his game yet where he'd rather he'd rather pull up and then shoot a jumper than pull up and bulldoze and get a layup. But it did also seem like he just wasn't getting that many calls. I mean, the dude had zero free throws in game seven. He did have zero free throws in game seven. I also think he did it to himself in game seven with the shots that he took. Yeah. He took a lot of jumpers in game seven, which it happens. Um, the other thing I would like to see Kawhi improve on and I understand he was second team all defense this year. I do think he should be more locked in defensively from the get go, but I understand why he's not. Cause even as good as LeBron James was defensively this season, he still ebbed and flowed. And like, it happens to a star guys. Like they're not always locked in defensively. So I do think he can improve on that. And I don't know, maybe next season we get an absolutely truly like monster Kawhi, the likes of which we've never seen. I don't know, but maybe the Kawhi we saw this year is the Kawhi we're just going to get all the time. Which is which there really isn't a problem with. Right. There's not. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to say that like there's a problem. That's an amazing player and a guy I would gladly take as the number one on the team. Like at the end of the day, I don't think I would fault any postseason deficiencies on him. Even if he had like the dude had like two bad playoff games, all playoffs. He literally had like, what like game two against Denver and game seven against Denver. Like that's it. Every other game, the dude was a monster. Game, games two and seven against Denver, which are also both uh, he and Paul George in both games were, were pretty bad. The only and, is yeah. him and Paul George's games are too similar. So when one goes cold, it's pretty easy for the other to go cold because he's going cold for a reason. He's going cold shooting jumpers and then PG does the same thing. Whereas AD and Braun can be versatile enough where they can one can do something different when the other goes cold. You know what I mean? Right. But I, I think I can't fault anything on him. If there was anyone I would have to fault, it would be the bench because they just screwed up consistently all the time. Yeah, I don't even blame Paul George. I mean, I can blame him. No, I don't because after the first round, he was great. Mm. He was great, dude. Like, I, I'm sorry. Like, even even when you look at it, like like the bad game that he had in game two he was still pretty good despite not making shots. And I know we're supposed to be talking about Kawhi, but like, I feel like Paul George has gotten so much flack for things that weren't even his fault. And it really bothers me. Like, as you mentioned, the bench was awful. And I feel like nobody's talked about that because, and I understand why, like the star players always get brought to the forefront when a team loses, but also like if guys play bad and there's a guys that other people view as quote all-star level or close to it. I'm sorry. It has to be talked about. So, and the same thing can be said with Kawhi too. Where it's like, is it like game six, game six, those dudes had, uh, I remember I wrote it down, but they had, they, were, they had some like ridiculous numbers, like four steals, 31 points, seven rebounds, seven assists at the half. Right. And then they both just went garbage in the second half. So, I mean, you still can fault them because their second halves in games five, six, and seven, uh, maybe not five for Kawhi because he was hitting all those jumpers and then they gave the ball to Lou Williams for that three. But they're not talking about that till the day you die. Yeah, yeah. Um, dude, I still think about like I still think about the Rocket series randomly when I'm at traffic lights. So Ooh. I'm definitely gonna think about this till the day I die. Um, so I just. It just seemed like 
Not only did Doc Rivers not adjust, who I give the biggest blame to, more than anyone, I give the biggest blame to Doc Rivers, but both Kawhi and PG weren't adjusting in second halves when they started going cold, is what it felt like. But Kawhi, like, it just feels like PG's game is overly complicated sometimes, whereas Kawhi's is pretty simple. Do you know what I mean? Right. I get it. I get what you're saying. Like, he does, like he's behind the backs and you're like, bro, just like, just get to the rim and put your shoulder down and do what you did to get all the free throws, you know? So let's play a game. What do you think was Kawhi Leonard's best game of the regular season and of the postseason? Uh, was it against the Lakers? In the in almost obviously the regular season, uh, which which one? Well, how do you define best? Like the most points or just the most efficient? Or The game that you just thought he was at his best for the duration of that game. I feel like it was a game against the Lakers, either Christmas or opening. Okay, so Christmas, he goes for 35 points, 12 rebounds, 5 assists. He was 11 of 19 from the field. On opening night against the Lakers, he goes for 30 points, 6 rebounds, 5 assists. He does that on 10 of 19. So Christmas. Okay. There was one game he got a triple-double, right? Or no? Yes, he did that against the Miami Heat. In a, uh, he put up 33-10-10 in a win on the road the day after or the day of that article uh, coming out about the team chemistry, and they fell behind in the first quarter by like 14 points and then came back to win because he was incredible. Okay, yeah, I'll still say the Laker game on Christmas. I mean, d- hey, depending on who goes to the finals, that Miami game might look like the best one. <laughs> Well, just I, I just remember, I mean, both of them, the situation, because I remember the Laker game, they're on a losing streak. And it was like, man, these guys aren't as good as everyone thought they'd be. And then Miami game, that article came out and I think they had just lost to the Grizzlies or whatever. Right. Or was that way after that? Uh, I think that was around the same time or before, right before, I believe. This season was way too long, man. Like it's it's been a very long season, even like without the hiatus. I think it was long. In my opinion, other than like three or four games, other than like the Celtics game, uh, the two Laker games, the Heat game, and the Raptors games, like this team wasn't that fun to watch. It was a lot of like, why are you guys blowing a lead? Why are you guys losing the Orlando Magic? Why are you guys losing the Chicago Bulls? Stop losing to bad teams. Why are you guys losing the Grizzlies? Why did you almost lose to the Knicks? Like, it was like, it was a very frustrating year when you look at it in hindsight. What would you say was his best postseason game this year? Uh, I know that's weird to like, after the fact, but probably I was just one curious. of the games against the Mavs, but I can't remember. So game one against the Mavs, he goes for 29, 12 and six. Game three, he goes for 36, nine and eight. Game six, he goes for 33, 14 and seven and gets five steals. I'll say game six because it was a closeout game too. The other game I would like to nominate is game four against Denver. He goes for 30 points, 11 rebounds, nine assists, four steals, two blocks, has one turnover, and that turnover is with like a minute and a half to go, and they win the game. That was their last win of the season. Yeah, I would. Yeah, I would say, I would say Game Six against the Mavs, just because it was a closeout game and it could have, it could have went to a seven, you know. And he just like, he was just like, uh, uh-uh. uh. He's so good, man. 
he really even everyone's going to look at game seven. I get it. I understand. It's the nature of the business. No, I don't but, think I don't think that many people are going to look at game seven. for It's just Laker fans being trolls, because when you look at Dame Lillard, he was like, man, Kawhi's won back to back finals MVPs like or not back to back, but he's won two finals MVPs and two NBA championships like he's good. Right. He's proved himself. So it's it's just PG that's going to get the flat because the last image anyone's going to have of him is him hitting the side of the damn backboard in game seven, you know, to cause a big swing. Uh, That wasn't a big they were down like 15 at that point. But you're down 15. You could be down 12. Instead, you go down 17. No, or I, I, I get it. I'm just saying, like, I'm but not going to hold it's number one. Shaq and a fool. That's that's everyone's going to uh, remember. That when it I comes don't care to about Shaq and a fool. You know, he's shacked in a full shit. It was Dame Lillard popping off on him. It was everybody popping off on him. It was people calling him way off P. Like that's unfortunately for him, that's what everyone's gonna remember about his postseason run. I understand. It's also easier to hate when you're on the outside. But I, I do think um for Kawhi Rivers deserves more flack than anyone. I agree with that. For Kawhi, what do you think? he will be able. So obviously Kawhi Leonard is going to be back barring them, just randomly trading him. If that's his request, I don't see that happening. Why would it? This is the team you wanted to go to, but what do you think is the next step for Kawhi Leonard as a player, as a leader, as whatever? Um, as a leader, he's probably got to get more vocal. I agree with, I think he needs to be more. Now here's the thing. When I say more vocal, I don't mean, like on the court, like, cause you can be vocal on the court and not vocal in the locker room. Um, I view him to be kind of, uh, subdued at times, even in the locker room. So I would like to see him take that step into being 100% the leader. And look, I mean, he was a leader this year. He was one of the leaders on the team. I think in year two, he will take another step in that direction. I will say though, it is very weird when you think about it. Like the chemistry of the Raptors was just so off the charts and all they did was add Kawhi Leonard and Danny Green, right? And they kept it largely the same team. It's so weird to me that the chemistry of the Clippers was so flaky when it was the same team, but adding Kawhi Leonard and Paul George and subtracting um, Danilo and Shea. Like you have the... Both both situations are very similar, so it's very bizarre to me. Um, I think it's a little different, though, because the Clippers weren't just adding two guys. It's two superstars. And now these are your top two. It, it's like with Kawhi, you're adding the top guy on your team, like if you're Toronto. But Danny Green's not like he's not even like your third best player, probably. And he wasn't last year. He was more or less before. situation that you added the guy that's – he's the guy now. In, in Toronto, they, they got rid of DeRozan and they added Kawhi and it was like he's the de facto the guy. It just seemed like Toronto already had good chemistry from the beginning. I don't know if that's – if that I, – I, you would like to think the Clippers had good chemistry from the beginning, but maybe, maybe Danilo and Shea had a bigger part of that than people realize or maybe Trezor – Lou or whoever, or maybe PG or someone was being more of a detractor than they should have been on the Clipper side. Or 
Maybe if they would have actually just freaking practiced every now and then, the chemistry would have been a lot better. Um, I mean, both both wise, like both on court and off court. Yeah, no, I, I understand. I, I I think that they they were their own problem. The Clippers, like they they did not take the time to make it work. There were so many things going on from the outset that they never got it together, and now they get a redo, for, uh, you know, potentially. So we'll see. I mean, look, I enjoyed Kawhi Leonard's first year. Like, yeah, it ended in disappointment, so to speak, but I enjoyed it. Anyone puts it on him. It's not even about whether or not they put it on him. I'm talking about like I I thoroughly enjoyed it myself because it's not every day you get to see one of the greatest players of all time put on your team's jersey and start doing some work. And it was fun. Or the dude would just get like 11 straight points in a minute and you're like, okay, I guess we're winning now. I've never seen a guy so quickly go from like one of seven shooting to, I don't know, like seven of 14. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, like, all right, like Kawhi Leonard's here. How many times do we see a spurt from him where he would he would be like just he'd have a tough game. He'd be having a tough outing. And then he'd hit the stretch in the third quarter where he just obliterated and was a world ender. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, the Clippers are fine. And Kawhi Leonard's up to 30. Like what? Like, you know what I mean? Like it, it happens so many times. It, it did remind me a lot of how Laker fans must have felt when you had Kobe, when you're like, man, don't give the ball to anybody else. Just give it to Kobe. Just let him, let him shoot whatever hard shot he wants to shoot. I don't, I don't, I don't want to see Shamit shoot it. I don't want to see Jermichael shoot it. Just give it a quiet. I, I don't want to see PG shoot it. Just let Kawhi do it. Yeah, pretty much. Just, I mean, well, look, look, uh, the, the potential game winner at the end of game four against Dallas. It wasn't a great shot, but it was a shot that I, I thought was fine because I'm like, screw it. Who else on the team deserves to have the shot? Kawhi Leonard. That's it. Yeah. I mean, well, what, what grade would you give his first year? Uh, a minus. Yeah. I was actually going to say the same thing. Like I, I feel it really was an a minus year while there is stuff I can quip on and kind of quibble with. Uh, it felt like an A minus year out of him, and I will take an A minus year all the time. Yeah, I, I'll give him an A minus too. You right, probably uh, won't have the same for Paul George, but that'll be for another no, week. Yeah, you just don't like Paul George. We're gonna do Paul George next week. Um, you got anything for the people? Um, Tyler Hero, man. Whoa. <laughs> All the Kentucky dudes are balling out in the bubble, bro. Devin Booker, Tyler Hero. If if people consider this just like a like a we were gonna forget about a year. I'm telling you right now, if we get a Miami Denver finals, which I don't think we're gonna get Denver, but I'm just saying, if we get Miami Denver, I really do think people are gonna sit there and just be like. Only because of the bubble. Only because of the bubble. Well, and it's going to be hard to disagree, but I, think, I, I, I think can't take it away. The odds of Miami winning are higher than a Miami-Denver finals. I would agree with you. But look at the Kentucky guys that have played well in the bubble. Tyler Hero. Keldon Johnson with the Spurs was good in the bubble. Shea. Bam Adebayo. De'Aaron Fox. Jamal Murray's killing it. Devin Booker killed it. Like, you have all these guys. Anthony Davis, obviously. Uh, Michael Kidd Gilchrist even hit some threes. What is happening with that one? Where's playoff Rondo's back? I mean, it's crazy to see the Kentucky guys is out there just hooping, man. 
Yeah. I mean, do you think everyone's going to consider it just like a random year if Miami wins, though? I think some people will. And look, everyone's going to feel how they want to feel. It's going to be tough to disagree with them. And it's also going to be tough to agree with them in my mind. Man, I wish he, uh, I wish he uh, did that performance today in Miami. He would have like the craziest celebration of all time. Oh, they would have mobbed him on the court. Yeah. He, he might he, look if they won a title this year, Tyler heroes never got to pay for a drink for the rest of his life. Yeah. That's all I got though. Tyler. All right. We'll be back next week, folks. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, Paul George is next week. So we'll see you guys later. Take it easy.